You're listening to Run Hard, Mom Hard, presented by Treeline Journal and hosted by Nikki Parnell and Steph Weniger. We're here looking at the ins and outs of what it takes to be a mother who runs ultra marathons. We'll dive in to the challenges mothers face while training and racing ultras as we share and hear stories of motherhood and life from the trails. We hope to be a resource and encouragement to women who are balancing life with kids and all the miles. It's no easy task. We know what goes on behind the scenes while a mom prepares for a long run or race day. Sick kids, lack of sleep, low energy, minimal time, mom guilt, etc. But women keep showing up again and again to run, take care of themselves, and show this sport new levels of strength and grit. We want to be here to celebrate and inspire each other to run hard, find our inner mom strength, and show our kids that so much is possible. Welcome to another episode of Run Hard, Mom Hard. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Nikki. And today we have Andrea Brambila. Um, she is a mental health mental health therapist. Um, but before that, we are just going to give a little life update and talk about our favorite things. So, Nikki, do you want to give a update? Yes. Um, I well, this week my little baby girl Bellen turns two. And gosh, birthdays are always just so crazy. It's really exciting. It's kind of sad, um, but it's great. I mean, she is just a feisty little ball of joy. She's a doll. Um, but anyway, so she, so her name's Bellin, which is a name that Chase and I got from back when we just got married. We went, part of our honeymoon was, um, we hiked the Camino de Santiago, which we started in the French Pyrenees and, um, we walked west, uh, all the way to the sea of Spain, um, Finisterra, which is like the end of the world back then, um, before the Americas were found. And so we walked 560 miles and in like 30, or 31 days. And it was oh my gosh. Like, it was the best experience of our life. And we talk about it all the time. We think about it all the time. And anyway, we met a woman there named Belen. And, and it's usually said Belen with an accent over the second E, but we just say Belen because that's what she said. And it's kind of maybe feels a little easier for Americans to uh, <laughs> pronounce. Anyway, she, <laughs> she says Belen. <laughs> like she gets a really <laughs> funny face um when she says it. And then lately she's been calling herself Belny because Dash has been calling her Bellany. And so she calls herself Belny or ben Benny. And we're like, oh goodness gracious, like <laughs> she's turning to, she can't even really say her name. Um but anyway, that was a little story on her. Um, I'm excited for her birthday. We're going to make her cake. And, um, and, and also, real quick, I now have two bikers on my hand. Like, Dash is biking on his big boy bike all the time. Bellin is cruising on her Strider bike. And I'm just, it's awesome. Really cool. I'm, like proud of them, but I'm also like, I go out to go on a walk with them and I feel like I'm going into battle. I'm like, 
Okay. Now to very independent, very different speeds, very different directions of kids and bikes. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So, but I, it's I am not there yet because Amelia just started walking. So she's I'm still like I can kind of control her. But uh-huh. uh, I can imagine how I mean it'd be tough and you have to like mentally prepare for uh-huh. that. Yeah. yeah. It makes me nervous. My palms yeah. sweat. Yeah. <laughs> What's up with you? Um, so I was just thinking um, the other day, Aaron and I were watching a documentary while the girls were asleep, like right before bed on lost cities. And he uses a lot of technology to kind of uncover different things about these cities. Um, and I was just thinking how lucky we are to be living in a time that we're able to do this. Like Nikki and I are on um, Skype. We're doing, you know, face to face and we're able to meet with all these moms that are really cool that are we get to talk to face to face and even just like how this podcast got started like I was just listening to a podcast and I reached out and um that we're able to do this from states away is just really really cool that um we're able to do stuff like this and I just um I the time that we're living in like even if we were like right now obviously we have COVID and we just had Easter um and we, we FaceTimed with all of our family and to be able to do that is very, we're very lucky. Like if this was I mean, even 10 years ago, we would all just be sitting in our homes kind of alone. Like, yeah, there was still some type of video communication, but it wasn't as readily accessible as what it is now. Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling lucky, but mm-hmm. um, we also have a birthday this month on the 26th and my baby turns one. And so I won't have a baby in the house anymore. And mm-hmm. it makes me really sad. <laughs> so no, but. the first year birthday is very, I get really emotional at the yeah. first year. It's like you made it through the first year. Your I baby made it through the first year. They've changed so much in one year. Yeah. I know. Oh, my gosh. I know. Yeah. I, I think when Joanna turned one, I held her and cried for like three hours. Mm-hmm. But I was also pregnant, so maybe it's more emotional than any, or you know, hormonal than anything. But anyway, so yeah. do you want to talk about your favorite thing this week? Sure. Um, so I really like. I have an Ultimate Direction um, handheld water bottle uh, with a soft bottle. Okay. Inside, so that it it definitely feels like a lot lighter once you've drank in your water, um, which I like. And um, I just like it for when you don't have to wear or don't need to wear a running pack and have mm-hmm. like bottles, and you don't have to carry a lot of stuff just for the shorter runs. I did a virtual half marathon this last weekend, which. Went well, but I also like Strava blew up on me and I lost some of my miles and um, that made me very sad, but um, it was okay. Um, I came back to Dash and Bellin riding their bikes and uh, it just was made everything better. But anyway, so this water bottle um, is great for like the the morning was in the 50s, which is very warm. It feels very warm right now. And for a morning, like I, I was running at like 8 a.m. And yeah. so I was sweating a lot and I was really glad I had the water. I drank the whole thing. So, yeah, that's my thing. What's nice. your, um, 
so Minnesota, we on Saturday, it was almost 60 degrees. And then on Sunday, we had a blizzard. Oh, chase. <laughs> so it was like, and right now there's still like a couple inches of snow outside and it's 30 degrees and blowing. Like, I don't understand. It was so nice out. We were in t-shirts and sweating and now it's freezing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so mine is a hydration pack. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have the Nathan Vapor Aris. It's like the women's version of the um, Nathan Vapor Air. So it's like specific for women's bodies. It's really nice. Um, it has a two liter bottle that has like the hose with the bite valve in it. Um, I'm able to put soft flask bottles in the front. It has like a little like Velcro part that I put like if I have any um, salt tabs or sometimes mm-hmm. I carry ibuprofen because I have IT band issues. So I have that sometimes. Um, and then it also has a whistle on it, which I, it's, it's nice to have too. Um, and it just, it fits really well. And I, I carry it sometimes on even my shorter runs cause I don't like having th- things in my hands that I'll just put like, even without the pack of water in it, I just put my, um, soft glass bottles in the front. So that's nice. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. That's nice that it has both options because yeah. a lot of times it'll, you just have the option of the, the bladder in the back or yeah. the- bottles in the front but that's nice it's yeah. very cool yeah mm-hmm. all right so this week like we said we have andrea brambila she is a mental health therapist in texas um she has one kiddo and um she is training for her first 50 miler um we talk a lot about um postpartum depression and anxiety um going through losses miscarriages um talk about mom guilt and how to stop the judgment cycle um just a lot of a little quick mental health tips and how she kind of gets through them as a mental health therapist yeah yeah it's really great there's a lot of good nuggets in there and I would recommend um maybe having something that you can write down like a journal that you can make notes on because it's good stuff. She's got a great perspective on everything. And she does have a great perspective. So take a listen. So Andrea, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I am a, um, I'm a runner. I've been running in what I would consider endurance um, races for about the last 10 years. I started out in, you know, half marathon, full marathon. um, And then a couple of years ago, I did my first 50K, um, which was a really great and interesting experience. And I am also a licensed professional counselor, so I have a mental health background. Um, currently, I work in more of a corporate environment, which has been an interesting shift for me over the last um, two to three years. Um, and I have one six-year-old and one husband. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, you know, want to be clear about that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and so what do you mean corporate? Like corporate 
therapy? What, what do you mean? So I actually, I work for a mental, or I'm sorry, I work for a health insurance agency. Um, and his, and I kind of came in from the mental health background. Um, and so when I initially started, I was working sort of as, um, I guess the best way to kind of put it would be like a consultant, like a mental health, behavioral health consultant. Um, and I still do a lot of that for the health insurance plan that I work for. But um, over the last couple of years, I've moved more into a project management role as sort of my career has evolved. I think that's been um really interesting um, sort of steady underline with me. I get really bored really quickly and I tend to kind of like, oh, well, now I want to do this other thing that's completely different and um, random. <laughs> so that's kind of what happened with my career is like everything has just sort of over time, it shifted. And I actually, I went back for my MBA um, about a year ago because I got bored and decided that was what you should do. <laughs> Even with a six-year-old or a, yeah. a child? <laughs> yeah, was five and I was, it was actually when I was training for my first, ultra, for the 50K, um, and my husband was kind of like, now, really, that's, that's what we're going to do, I guess. <laughs> he rolls with it, though. Yeah. Not, he's, he's really good about being flexible. <laughs> Does he run or is he very similar with just switching our minds a lot and kind of pursuing different things? But yeah, (laughs) so he does. Well, he has in the past run Um, when we first and actually it's I feel like it's a funny story. Um, When we first started dating, he did not run. He's he's very much like a natural athlete. He kind of picks up on anything and everything and he's naturally good at it and it's really frustrating for me because I am not a natural athlete um it takes me a really long time to get good at something um and when we started dating he he swam he was like yeah I swim I play basketball he he did kind of these like sports um and I think he did like P90X in the living room um, and I was training for the Chicago Marathon, mm-hmm. and it was my second marathon, and and the training plan was like nearly killing me. And we were at a barbecue on a Friday night, and, and I told him, you know, like, hey, I gotta go. It's it's July in Texas. I gotta get in a long run tomorrow, and that needs to happen before 8 a.m. because it's a million degrees. <laughs> and he looked at me. He said, you know, well, why don't I just go with you and um you know, I feel really badly that like you're running 15 miles by yourself. So maybe I'll just join you for, for a few miles early in the morning. I was like, yeah, 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 sure. So we left. And then the next morning I get up to do my run and he gets up with me. And I was like, you know, how you don't run, like how far are you thinking you're going to want to go today? He's like, well, if you're doing 15, maybe I'll just do like the first five with you. And I, and I looked at him, I was like, you can't, no, like, that's not the way that running works. You can't just decide that you're going to do five miles, but we'll give it a shot and see how it goes. <laughs> and I was really kind of looking forward to having this moment where, like, it was, I was looking forward to the I told you so moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that little turd, like, he he ran out the door with me. We got a mile in, and I looked at him, and, you know, like, okay, this is a mile. So if we turn around now, 
Like you've got two miles, but if you keep going at this point, it's, it's like we're going to hit two miles and then you might as well just go two and a half and, and you're going to have to go all the way back. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I can hang. And he did. And it was probably the most frustrating experience <laughs> because it took me months to be able to run five miles without stopping. And he just decided one morning that that was what he was going to do. I relate to you. My husband is the exact same way and it just infuriates me. And I'm a very competitive person, like at heart. And he's just like picks up whatever and just is amazing at it. And I'm like, how? I don't understand how this is possible. (laughs) Yeah. And I CrossFit and I had been CrossFitting and I went back to CrossFit after we had our son. So we had we had a solid like three years where I was crossfitting. He was just running with me. And then after we had our son, he decided to try out crossfit with me. And there's, there's a pretty technical movement in crossfit called like the muscle up where you essentially, it's a gymnastics movement where you like pull yourself up and over the bar and it's hard. And I had been doing crossfit for years and hadn't gotten anywhere near a bar muscle up. And we walk into CrossFit after he'd been CrossFitting for a couple of weeks. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to try that. And he gets it like on the first. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, frustrating. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, so long story short, like he does, he, uh, he actually has a little bit of a back injury right now. So he's not um, running consistently with me, but he does, he does run with me when he can. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, what did, um, I mean, you said it took you a long time to build up to like five miles. How did your build up go to ultras? I mean, how did you find yourself there? Yeah, it was, um, it was slow. Um, but I had, after I had my son, I had some pretty significant postpartum anxiety. Uh, and the only thing that really helped me to kind of manage that was being able to go out and run consistently. And when our son was about two years old, we decided that we were going to move from Austin, Texas, back to our hometown um, in South Texas so that we ha- would have a little bit more family support. And mm-hmm. that, that kind of gave me the opportunity at that point to say, you know what, I want to do a marathon. Um, I really miss like the long run by myself <laughs> like I need um, I need like two hours of alone time mm-hmm. at least once a week and so that that sort of allowed me moving back home gave me the capacity and the bandwidth to be able to do that with a two-year-old um, because I wasn't just like taking off and um, leaving him with my husband to kind of fend for themselves for a substantial period of time they had some some more help there Um, And so I trained for a couple of marathons. And then I want to say after about a year, I really decided, like, you know, I just want to see what I can do and how, you know, how far I can go. Because, you know, when I think back to like one to two years into my running career, the thought of running a full marathon was like this terrifying, inconceivable distance. And I had gotten to a place where, you know, I could sort of on any given day wake up and could probably do like a half marathon. And that felt like a really big accomplishment for me. And I really just wanted to see like, well, how far would that go? Um, what am I capable of? And 
actually when I was kind of telling my husband that I was interested in running a 50k and I was sort of explaining like, yeah, you know, I want to do a trail run and it's a lot slower and there's better snacks and <laughs> it's like a more fun experience. He's like, you know, if you just want to go for like a really long walk and have like, I can make you the snacks. Like you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to do this crazy thing. If you just want the snacks. <laughs> um, and I was like, no, I, you know, I just, I really want to see what I'm capable of. And I just want to see if it's something that, I can physically do. Um, and you know, I mean, to go from 26 to like 32 to 33 miles, it's not that big of a, of a distance, um, change, but I was looking at, at a course that is in central Texas and is not like mountainous, but it's really technical. Um, it's a lot of like limestone and climbing, um, a lot of very steep up and down. And so I knew it was going to be a much longer amount of time on my feet. And that's kind of what was really interesting for me to see, you know, like, well, how long can I, how long can I survive um, just on my own two feet? And so for that, it really, it took me, I think I did like two marathons as sort of a buildup. Um, and over this, and I, I basically took a full summer um, and I didn't modify my, my training too much because again, like the distance just isn't that big of a difference. Um, but I spent a lot more time on my feet because it was over the summer. So my, my pace is naturally kind of slowed down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I wished that I had the ability to really train like more specifically for that type of course. But at that point in time, um, where I was living, it just wasn't an option like there just wasn't anything any even close where I could really replicate it Corpus um, in South Texas is very flat and it's coastal um, and the the 50k that I did was in the hill country so it's very hilly and uh, on a trail which we didn't have in Corpus so it was a really interesting experience to go from training almost exclusively like on roads and in um, neighborhoods and then spending eight hours in the woods climbing yeah. up limestone. <laughs> but it was yeah. great. I really like it was one of my like top three favorite running memories and That's experiences. Awesome. Yeah. Because I, I feel like I'm the same way. I live out in the country in southern Minnesota and it's pretty flat here. I mean there's some hills every once in a while. Um, but where I live, like probably five miles around in a, it's all flat. And then I go into these races that are, you know, in southeastern Minnesota and it has the bluffs and then northern Minnesota has got the Sawtooth Mountains. And so it's I feel you. The training gets hard. It does. Um, and we actually we recently moved to central Texas. So I definitely have a lot more access to trails. Um, and right now I'm sort of in like a base building phase of my training um, with the hopes of running a couple of 50 and 60 Ks over the summer and then a 50 miler in October. So I'm, I'm happy to have more access to trails to run on because it definitely, it, it was mentally challenging to, to run like 24 miles on a road or in a neighborhood. Yeah. Uh. It is, that is the hard part for me as well. And well, I mean, I do, I am, I live in Bend, Oregon, so there is a lot of trails, 
But it's like long runs can just get really hard and tedious when you're doing town loops or you're trying to like add on here and there. Like that is, that is tough. Like the races are so fun and that's kind of the highlight of all the training and the whole process. But sometimes those long runs just wear you down mentally. Yeah. There's a, there's a section, um, there's an area in Corpus Christi where the neighborhood is really beautiful and it's up along the bayfront. And so my girlfriend and I would run like it's three miles down the bayfront and then three miles back up the bayfront and then literally like zigzagging through this neighborhood <laughs> and going up and down the same streets. And at one point I looked at our Strava and it just like <laughs> it was like, the most ridiculous picture of like just trying to get in every little turn um, just to get that like extra quarter mile in that nice. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. good job for doing that because yeah, yeah. Um, it helps your mental strength. It does. <laughs> um, but I was gonna. So you had mentioned that running has helped with postpartum anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, how? just to get out of the house is how it helped or how did, how do you feel that running helped with some of your postpartum anxiety and how long did it last for, would you say? So for me, it lasted for quite a while. Um, my husband and I had some struggles getting pregnant. We had a couple of pregnancy losses before we got pregnant with our son. And it really took me until I was like 25 weeks pregnant to even say like, okay, I feel pretty good that like we're going to have a baby at this point. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then after I got past that point, I had kind of in my mind said, you know, like I want, I have this vision of the new mom that I want to be. I want to be, you know, the really like mellow, relaxed, like babies are resilient, easygoing mom. And I feel like for about the first 10 days, I was, um, everything was pretty easy those first 10 days. And then my son developed, um, some pretty significant, um, reflux and like to the point where he, um, wasn't sleeping more than 40 minutes at a time. And he developed these like spasms in his throat that you could see and it would prevent him from breathing for like five seconds nothing long but just to like hold this tiny little baby and to watch him not be able to breathe and to know that like the reflex is painful it doesn't feel good it's like really bad heartburn and there was nothing that we could really do um to in the moment alleviated it. We, we ended up getting him on some medication, but I'd like, I have this very distinct memory of holding him at one point and my husband uh, was at the gym and we were on the phone and you know, my son started crying and then he, his throat spasmed and he, um, he actually, he started to like turn blue. Oh my God. And, ha- and I'm on the phone with my husband and I just start, I was like, you need to come home, just come home, come, come home now. And mm-hmm. He came home and by the time that he came home, our son was completely fine. But I was so in such like a state that my husband was like, let's take him to the hospital and make sure that he's okay. And like, <laughs> and 
think honestly for you. you. Let's make sure you're all right. Like you need to hear <laughs> from a medical professional that he's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, I was just, I could not relax. Like I felt like it really, it shook me because it gave me this, this realization that like, okay, the baby is here and he's technically healthy, but there's all these things that could happen to him. You know, I could get into a car accident with him in the car seat or like sometimes babies just stop breathing in their sleep. And like, it made me feel so helpless and so out of control. Um, and I'm someone that has had a history with, with the anxiety in the past. And so for me, it just like blew up, um, after we had him and after that experience. And so running for me, it got me out of the house, which was really helpful because for me, not being able to get out of the house for like not being able to see the sun or just get outside, um, is really hard. And having a newborn baby, don't get, you don't usually spend a lot of time outside. Uh, you're kind of just trying not to die. And <laughs> so once I was able to get outside, that by itself helped, but also just having um, a reminder of the fact that like my strength doesn't lie in my ability to control things. My strength really lies in my ability to like manage what is out of my control and Knowing that, um, like, I can't control my son's health, but I can control how I respond to it. I can make sure um, that I am really advocating for him in his medical appointments and being and that was something that I really had to do was like our doctor, our pediatrician at that point kept telling me, like, you know, reflux is a normal thing like it's not that big of a deal and I was like no this kid is in pain like I can hear it this is an issue we're not going to just do the like he'll grow out of it thing like we need to do something to address this Mm -hmm. and I think that running was something that had always given me confidence because it was something um, that even though I wasn't good at it was something that I got good at and it was something that you know the more that I showed up and the more consistent that I was, the more I could see progress. And I could always point back to the fact that like, you know, when I started running, I knew exactly what it felt like to struggle with one mile. And I was able to get to a place where 13 miles wasn't a big deal. And so to be able to remember, like you got yourself from point A to what I consider like point F you know, solely of your own free will and your own determination. That to me felt really empowering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just sort of always this like touchstone for me, this like reminder of like, you're a strong person. And even though you don't always feel strong, you just have to keep sticking it out. You just have to keep showing up. And the more that you do, the stronger that you'll feel. Yeah. And that's kind of what running did for me. And, you know, I think that there was also a lot of other like, you know, the endorphins and mm-hmm. the the space to process things um, was helpful. But really what was the biggest thing for me was it was just this reminder of the fact that like I was a strong, capable human being and 
I could trust my instincts and my intuition. And the more that I did that, the stronger I felt. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I resonate with that a lot. My, um, my second daughter. So we had a couple losses before my first daughter. Um, and then with my second daughter, she now has a dairy protein allergy. But before they're like, oh, she, ju- <laughs> she just has reflux. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, we had to do a scan to see if she had pyloric stenosis and they put her on all this medication and it wasn't helping. And I'm like, there is something wrong with her. Like, I know. And yeah. I cut, I, it was, we went through a lot to find out that she had a dairy protein allergy. Um, I mean, I feel like it takes. <laughs> It takes so much strength to sit in like a medical professional's office and to be like, no, I know yes. something yeah. is wrong. I don't have a medical degree, but I'm going to tell you, person <laughs> with a medical degree, that there is something wrong. And I think that, you know, I question sometimes if I would have had the strength and the confidence to do that if I wasn't running and if I didn't have sort of that like that point of strength to kind of draw from because it there were times where I like I could tell that he that our pediatrician was looking at me like you know this poor woman is just driving her <laughs> crazy like she's probably losing her mind yeah um, but I knew like I just knew that it wasn't it wasn't just a fussy baby like there was something wrong yeah yeah because we had I, I remember going in at her two-month appointment and saying that she is like vomiting everything out and then they're like oh well we'll just just keep an eye on it and I went back like a week later and I'm like you need to weigh her and you need to we need I've to figure kept, this out I've kept an eye on it <laughs> yeah yeah it's been a week now yeah. <laughs> um but she actually ended up losing weight for six to eight weeks and then she started gaining weight again after I cut out dairy but we I'm like I went in so many times I'm like you need to figure this out so I it's hard to go through all of that, but I think it's weird that so, and maybe that was part of it. Cause I feel like I had more postpartum depression um, or maybe anxiety with our second daughter, Amelia versus Joanna, even though with our first daughter, Joanna, because I went through the losses, my whole pregnancy, I was anxious. Like the entire mm-hmm. time I was worried. Um, and then there was like the, like, I don't know, eight week window in the middle of pregnancy where I'm like, oh, okay, everything's going to be fine. And then you get towards the end and you're like, okay, now something else could really happen. And, um, but (laughs) with, uh, with Amelia, I struggled a lot more with postpartum depression, um, anxiety than I did with Joanna, even after having some losses before that. It's amazing like how it's just so unpredictable because Prior, prior to having my son, I had some difficulties with the anxiety, but I definitely sort of leaned more towards like the depressive end of the spectrum mm-hmm. on just a day to day basis. And I think that what was hard for me was um, it wasn't a consistent like every day is a struggle. It was always a sort of like up and down. And so, you know, when I felt good, I didn't want to take care of the things that I needed to take care of to make sure that I continued to feel good. And when I didn't feel good, I knew that it wouldn't last. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was almost this like difficulty of like, well, you need to, you need to manage this Andrea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't, 
you know, it, it took work. And when I was younger, I felt like I could just kind of get away with like, well, it'll pass. Like I'll get through it and, and it'll, it'll go. But after we had our son, like it didn't go, it lasted for months and it was, I felt like it was honestly like stealing the joy that I had wanted to have as a new mom because we had tried for so long to get mm-hmm. pregnant. Totally. And there was just this point where I was like, you know, it's enough. Like I can't, I can't live in this constant fear because I'm not enjoying this like time that I had looked so forward to and it goes by so quickly. And if you don't allow yourself those moments of joy, like it just, it just feels like such a waste afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely, um, with when it's so intermittent and it's not just a constant, it's not like every day you can't get out of bed or yeah. things like that. I, I experienced the same thing when my son was born it, and, and it's so hard to really talk about because it feels so shameful um, because you're not supposed to feel sad uh, as a mother or like, I mean, I feel like, um, and you're not supposed to um, be grieving when you have such a happy baby and you know that you're so lucky, like mentally, you know, things are good. You have so much to be thankful for, but on those bad days, I, I just remember feeling like I just, I didn't have the capacity to be grateful. Like I could not be positive and I couldn't really get myself out. I knew it like the next day would be fine. It's just like my dark days that I called them. And, and I just didn't even think or know if I had postpartum depression. Um, I didn't have a ton of friends that had kids at that time. And so like, I didn't feel like I had a lot of people to talk with about it or relate to, you know, and it's just because it's only comes like maybe once a week and then it progresses to like once a month and it gets a little bit better, yeah. you know, what's as you talk about it now. What? It's like, what's the point in talking about it now? Like it, that was four days ago. Yeah, totally. And like, I'm better, but then it's like, then you go through the cycle again and it's a, it's a weird, it's weird. It's it is. Weird. <laughs> and it's hard. Like, so like I said, I had a couple losses before we had Joanna. Um, and then once we had Joanna and even once we had Amelia, cause I felt more with Amelia, um, I felt like I can't be sad because we had, I mean, there's a lot of people struggling to even get pregnant. Yeah. Like more than what I had with Joanna and how can I not be thankful because now we have two healthy babies and some people can't even get one baby, mm-hmm. but you still feel guilty or, I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's hard to explain how. Yeah. I think that for me, I had a really hard time. And I think that part of it is honestly just, it's a little bit prideful. Like I wanted to be the easygoing mom that's like ah like this is not a big deal like kids eat crap off the floor and like that's not something to worry about and then all of a sudden it was like everything was something to worry about and you know I had to go back to work 
I had to get him on a schedule because I had to go back to work and, you know, setting all these like really strong parameters and guidelines and expectations. And I think it, it paid off in a lot of ways for us, but it was also really difficult because we didn't have this like, well, he'll just nap when he naps or, you know, things come as they come. It was like, no, like I need him to nap from two to four because that's when I do this. And I put a lot of pressure on myself and, you know, as much as I struggled, I am so glad that I had running because I can only imagine how much, how much worse things would have been because I really, there were, there was probably a good two years where I just felt like I needed to control everything and I wanted everything to happen on my timeline, on my terms. And it felt like nothing was happening on my timeline and on my terms. Mm -hmm. I like, when I think about it now, like I really like, I think about like white knuckling, like I was just trying to like grasp something to control and you know, it, it wasn't healthy. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that we sort of moved past that, that phase, but the one thing that I really did feel like where the space in my life that I felt like I had control was on like my running. Like I know I can go out and if I say I'm going to run three miles, I can run three miles mm-hmm. uh, and it makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I have just that tiny little thing in my life that is mine, mm-hmm. that is under my volition and everything else is not under my control, but this little piece of my, this tiny little slice of my life is. Mm-hmm. And so you ran and it felt good. And, but did you do anything else to get past a lot of this anxiety? Or, I mean, I'm not trying to assume that you are past it, but, um, you know, did you have any other things that helped? Yeah. I mean, and I think it would, be really irresponsible as like a mental health therapist if I wasn't taking care of my own mental health. Um, So yeah, so I did see a therapist fairly regularly. Um, I am not someone that responds well to any sort of uh, medication, mostly because I am forgetful and lazy and I am not good at doing anything consistently other than running. so that what it just wasn't an option for me because it, it doesn't work well for me. Um, but there, there have certainly been a lot of other, like, I know what my, I know what sort of coping skills work well for me. And I think that one of the, the biggest blessings that I've had with being a therapist is I have been able to witness other people have the best results when they respond to their own intuition. Mm -hmm. And it taught me that like, I need to do the same thing. I need to respond to my own intuition. So when there's this like tiny little voice that tells me, you know, turn on um, this, I have really poor taste in music. Um, But like when there's this little voice that tells me like, you know, turn on some music, like I listen to it and I turn on music and just those little things, uh, you know, like lighting a candle that smells a certain way because it reminds me of a certain thing um, or, 
when I hear that little voice, it says like, you need to like go outside for five minutes <laughs> and like stand in the sunlight for five minutes. Um, being like, I feel like especially women, I have seen so many women struggle with respecting that voice and doing what it tells them to do because it's like, well, I can, I'll go outside in, in 20 minutes. Like I, I have these other things that I need to take care of before I take care of me. And I've been really fortunate to see a lot of women say, you know, no, I'm, I'm not going to put other things in front of my own intuition and my own mental health and my own physical health. And something really just clicks. Like once you start really listening to that, that inner guidance, it gets stronger and it gets easier to recognize. And the things that like you are naturally inclined to do becomes more impactful. Um, and that has been a big thing for me is really respecting my own intuition and my own inner guidance. Um, and the second that I think I want to do something, I decide that I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And that has been really impactful for, for me and my mental health. And it's part of the reason why I went back and got my MBA. And that's something that I'm really proud of. And it's part of the reason that I like did a 50 K. Um, it's the reason that I started blogging. Like all of these little things are literally a moment in time where it's like, well, that seems like it might be something interesting or that seems like something I might want to do. And, you know, 10 years ago, I probably would have really discounted those things and, and said, no, I, you know, that's, it's not the right time or, that that's silly. Uh, but the more that I've listened to that intuition, the the better I have felt overall consistently. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that is at least for me now, it's mom guilt. Like, there's a lot of times I don't feel like I'm worth leaving my kids with my husband to go run out run the, you know, mm -hmm. 10 miles that I need to run or however many. Um, a lot of times I do my running at night so I don't waste time with my kids, even though now yeah. I'm home with them all the time. But a lot of it has to do with, for me, is mom guilt. And I don't know how to get past that. It's just listening to that voice that I need to go out for a run or light a candle. My um, Aaron, my husband, knows that I really like listening to The Greatest Showman when I'm sad. <laughs> and so I, he will turn it on if he knows that I'm like in a bad mood and he'll yeah. just turn it, her, turn it on instinctively. And he's like, mom just needs to listen to some music right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. yeah. And you know, I, I think that the more, because for me, it took a long time for me to get comfortable with telling my husband, these are the things that I want to do. And these are the things that I need to do in order to to get where I want to go. And there were a lot of reasons for that. And some of it was just for a long time, I didn't feel like I could trust um, other people to be like accountable and reliable. And I felt like I had to do everything on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I've seen, I've seen other women struggle with feeling like they're not worth taking that time or telling their spouse or telling their partner, you know, these are the things that I want to do because it seems like self-indulgent. 
And I think that everyone has sort of like some deep rooted barriers to their own success. And mm -hmm. I think that for everyone, it's, it's a little bit different, but the one thing that is consistent is the moment that you start to like push back against those, those barriers and those, those beliefs that are not serving you anymore, the easier it gets and the more that things start to line up for you in sort of a, a, a really interesting way. And so for me, the second that I started saying like, these are the things that I want to do and this is what I need from you. It gave my husband the opportunity to say, well, I'm going to show up for that. I'm going to, I'm going to support you in that. And he, he and I have very different love languages. Um, like he's much more of a quality time person. Um, and I, I'm not like, I'm very introverted. I need a lot of alone time. And so there, there, there's still struggles where I'm like, I want to do this thing. And he's like, well, I kind of want to see you sometimes. <laughs> and we have to, to talk it out. Um, and it's, so it's not like it's an instant fix for me. Um, but giving him the space to say, okay, I'm going to show up for that and, and giving him the opportunity, it has made a, a world of difference in our marriage. And it's also made a world of difference for me individually because he now gets to support me. And he, I think that for so long I was doing things, um, for my own mental health and, and chasing goals and doing things that I wanted to do. And I wasn't sharing with him, you know, here's why I want to do it. Here's what it means to me. Here's what I need in order to get there. And so he, for a long time, he just kind of saw like me doing the things, but he didn't always know like, why, like, why is that important to you? And I think that for him, that was hard to like, see me run out the door at 6 a.m. and to be gone for two hours when he didn't know, like, well, why is she doing that? Like, yeah. she, doesn't, she just doesn't want to be here. <laughs> I think that once I was able to start sharing, like, no, like, this is why it's important for me. This is why, like, you know, it makes me feel strong. This is how it makes me feel strong. I think that changed a lot for him, but it also changed a lot for me just to hear those words kind of come out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. It really started to solidify why these things are important for me and why I want to continue to take time to devote to them. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like it is, you know, running is sort of a selfish thing. Like you're leaving and, you know, you're going off by yourself sometimes. And I went through the stroller years. I took my son on a lot of um, Bob jogs, but at the end of the day, like it really is kind of a selfish thing, but we all need to have something for ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. And I know that like when I don't have those things set aside for me, I am not, I, I'm not the mom that I want to be. I'm not the wife that I want to be. I'm not the friend that I want to be because I'm not fulfilled and I can't help fulfill others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From that. Place. Yeah. Yeah. I just um, recently listened to a podcast by Brene Brown and I think, and it was also with Glennon Doyle. Um, and it was talking, they were talking about how, Woman, I mean, traditionally, it's like there is such a 
like a cultural kind of pressure to be, if you're going to be a mother, you're going to be a martyr. And, um, and just how it's, I mean, they said it, you know, so much better, but um, how it's like, I mean, traditionally women, like the, the greatest compliment a woman could get was to be selfless, but that means selfless. Like you don't have it you get away from yourself. Yeah. And um, so I think it is really powerful to stand up for your needs and to work with your partner. And, and, and like you were saying, be united on that. They want, you know, I mean, if you're in a great relationship, then they want to see you thrive. You want to see them thrive. You can all work together to yeah. you know, reach these goals. And that's. Yeah. Great. And you know, it's like I said, like, it's not, it's not perfect by any means. Like there's still a lot of conversations around, like you need to spend more time, you know, here or there or doing this, or I, you know, we both have different needs. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is um, so important to recognize is that like the things that I need, he probably doesn't need. And the things that he needs, like I may not need as much of. Mm -hmm. So we both need to have some sort of awareness of that, but we also, you know, everyone is responsible for managing their own happiness and their own health. And it really, it's irresponsible for me to not do the things that I know I need to do to stay healthy for my family. Like if I'm not willing to do it for me, I'm willing to do it for my son sometimes. And sometimes that's sort of the impetus and, and the motivation that I need mm-hmm. to do the things that I know make me a better person. Like I hate meditating. And <laughs> it. Like I'm not good at it. I don't enjoy it. You know, I wish I could Marie Kondo it out of my life. <laughs> it does not bring me joy, but it does bring me like calm. Okay. And Meditate. I, yeah. <laughs> I I'm a like I know I need it. Um, <laughs> awesome. Uh. You know, in those times where like I find myself struggling with like the motivation to carve out that time to do the thing that I don't really like to do, but that is good for me. I know, like, I can sort of lean into, like, there's going to be a moment in your day, Andrea, where your son is going to ask you the same thing for the 17th time because he's your child and he's just like you and he doesn't accept no as an answer. (laughs) And you're going to need these five minutes in order to manage that without losing Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's Uh. about how you can practice your calm, like through the day. I mean, and to to manage your reactions and your emotional responses to things. Um, I have a really hard time with that. I'm, I want to be that calm mother patient, but often it's like, you know, that third question and you're like, (laughs) Yeah, it's you yeah. just get more happy through as the day progresses. So yeah, all the little things add up, and you mm-hmm. just get like overwhelmed. I feel like I'm constantly overwhelmed with things trying to get yeah. done. But and I was gonna ask too, as if 
social media kind of plays a role because all you see are like these happy moms doing these crafts with their kids or I don't know, everything. I mean, it's all good, but they don't ever see the negative side or the side where you're yelling or you're getting frustrated, even if you're not yelling, like, right. It's, yeah. I don't know if, if that has played a role in the current mental state of women or moms right now. I think so. I mean, I definitely, I kind of go back to like, I think everyone has this vision of the adult or the parent or the partner um, that they're going to be when they grow up. And I'm 32 and like, I am nowhere near that like sort of avatar of myself. And for Mm -hmm. a long time, I felt like I, I really struggled with that because I, I would hold up this picture of like what I thought I was supposed to be in comparison to like where I was and they were not anywhere near the same universe. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people do that with social media as well. And it just sort of heightens that, like it puts that spotlight on, you know, here's all the things that you think you should be, but you're not. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't feel good. And I know that for me, I really, it took me a long time, but I really kind of had to sort of start letting go and almost sort of like mourning, like, I'm not going to be that human being. I'm not going to be that woman. And that's okay. But I do need to recognize, like, what is really important to me? And I need to honor that. And so for me, like, I would love to be, um, you know, the woman that can wake up every morning and put on makeup. But, like, I hate makeup. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that, like, it helps a lot of women but for me like it just drives me insane and so you know three years ago I was like I'm just I'm not doing this anymore like I'm not I I can keep trying and I can keep driving myself insane but like it's not getting me anywhere and I don't look any better because I'm not any better at it so (laughs) that's just going to be one of the things that I let go of and Mm -hmm. I did. And I'm like so much happier now that I don't own eyeliner because I had no business with it. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like it's, it's very similar with social media. Like, you know, there may be people or accounts that you follow for a long time that, you know, one day you just realize like, like looking at your crap doesn't make me feel any better about my crap. And I don't need any more of that in my life. And I think that the other thing that's really helpful with that is having a small group of people that you are really brutally honest with. Um, And I have like, you know, a handful, like three or four um, really close mom friends that I am completely honest with. Mm -hmm. And being able to say and tell those few people like what is really going on with my day um, and to to be able to sort of like laugh about it and laugh about like, you know, I, I would love to say that I'm an easygoing person, but I'm not an easygoing person. I am a very type A person. (laughs) That's just who I am. And to be able to joke around with, some of my girlfriends about like, well, Andrea had to do this crazy thing because she had it on her list today. And now it's 1149 at night and it needed 
a checkbox next to it. And being able to like poke fun at that is helpful. But I also like, you have to be able to accept yourself, you know, for who you are and to, to really recognize like what is important and valuable Mm -hmm. and to be comfortable with owning that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think you definitely need to find those mom friends. When I had uh, Joanna, one of my friends had um, a baby, uh, but she was going through a really tough time. um, And I didn't really have anyone to talk to. I couldn't really talk to her about some of this stuff just because I I felt like she didn't need the added stress. Um, But you do need to find some mom friends. I know um, one of mine just had, one of my friends had a baby in November and she's like, where did you go when you had Joanna? Because you're the only person in my friend group that has a kid right now. And you're the only one I can talk to about this. Mm -hmm. And it's nice having that group of friends that has, has kids. Mm -hmm. And And I think it helps. I'm so different from my other mom friends. Like we parent completely different. But yeah. like our kids still all drive us insane. Yeah. <laughs> and like having friends where you can say, you know, like I want to throw myself out a window or like someone else, or like maybe just like this place <laughs> on fire and like, stand a block away and act like I didn't know what happened. (laughs) No, like if I were to say that to someone who doesn't know me, like completely, probably be very concerned. (laughs) Rightfully so for like my safety and the safety of those around me. But when I say that to my friends who genuinely understand, like that's Andrea's, dark sense of humor and she's annoyed <laughs> right now and that's how she talks when she's annoyed um and not having to quantify that with the like I love my kid but like my friends know that I love my kid but I can simultaneously love my child and still like want to like just walk away and you know go to Fiji and never look back I can feel those things simultaneously and it's nice yeah. not to have to like explain. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I get that too. Hilarious. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um jumping back a little bit. Do you mind talking about your losses? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um how many do you, how many did you have? You said a couple? Yeah, so we had we had two um pregnancy losses when when we first got pregnant um, the very first time I was really healthy and I honestly kind of approached pregnancy from like this mindset of like, well, I don't have any of the red flags. Like I don't have any underlying health issues. Like there's no reason that I wouldn't have a healthy pregnancy. Like I just am going to expect to have a healthy pregnancy and that's what's going to happen. Um, and then we went in for our 10 week appointment and they couldn't find a heartbeat with the Doppler. And then they went into like, okay, well, you know, you're kind of early. And I was like, I'm not that early. Don't lie to me. Um, and, and they went in and did an ultrasound and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And it really like, it took them a long time to tell me 
and I was sitting there with my husband. I was like, why aren't they just telling me that like, there's no heartbeat. Like I can see there's no heartbeat and no one is willing to look me in the eye and tell me like, this isn't happening. It was a lot of this like back and forth, like, well, maybe, and you know, we're going to have to wait and see. And I was like, we don't need to wait and see anything. Like I can see it. And we ended up, we went home. Um, and later that day, um, we got a phone call that was like, that confirmed that, that we had a no longer viable pregnancy. And, um, we decided to to have the, a DNC surgery the next day, and I remember I was just so floored that no one could look at me and say like I'm sorry that you're going through this. Like even my like my OB was just very like like it was almost threatening for her that like I was going through this loss and. We we walked out of that experience really like rattled and and shooken because it just wasn't even a possibility in my mind before it happened. Um, and I remember afterwards that was sort of I was new to being a therapist um, and I was like, you know, there's nobody that I know of that is specializing in like fertility issues and pregnancy losses and new parenthood. Um, and so for a while, that was what I did with my career was I specialized in women that were um, experiencing some of those same struggles because it was just so rattling for me that nobody knew how to just like say, I'm sorry that this is what you're going through. And this is what you're going through. Like everyone wanted to dance around like well it was early or you know it's still a loss yeah Yeah. Uh, and it was it was an early loss but I still like the moment that we got pregnant I was solidified in like we're gonna have a baby and then we weren't Mm -hmm. dreams too yeah and it was just really like earth shattering um and at the same time, like I'm watching my husband really struggle because he really like he really wanted to be a dad. And it, it was real like I at that point I hadn't ever seen my husband go through anything that emotionally traumatic. And it was really hard for me to like just see his level of sadness. And um it was a really difficult experience and I just really felt like Nobody knew what to to do. And there's no right thing to say to a woman who's going through that. But there's a lot of wrong things to say. And I feel like that's all that I heard was like all the like, well, now you know that you can get pregnant. It's like, that's not helpful if I can't have a baby. <laughs> like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was that was our first loss. Um, and. We started trying to get pregnant again pretty soon after um, we got like the the clearance, um, and then I got pregnant and almost immediately after, like within two weeks, um, that we we lost that pregnancy as well. 
And it was sort of that same, like, well, at least it was early. And, you know, I'm sure that there was something that would have made it not an ideal situation. And um, by the time that we went in into our third pregnancy with my son, I was like fully convinced that there was something wrong with me. And for health insurance reasons, they won't start testing things for a lot of people until you have a third loss. And so all right, when we got pregnant with my son, I was in this like weird mindset where I was like, okay, I just want to hurry up and like get this loss over with so that we can figure out what's going on because mm -hmm. there's something. Um, and interestingly, like, you know, he, he was our successful pregnancy. Um, but I would not let myself like get attached to the idea of being pregnant until I was like 20, like I was fully showing and mm -hmm. like, undeniably pregnant and I still was like you know let's not take for granted that this is gonna happen yeah mm -hmm. I I had those same feelings I remember so my grandpa built a crib for Joanna oh. um but I didn't want him to build it and I didn't want to have it delivered until I was like mm -hmm. about ready to give birth because I I mean we didn't have anything ready in the nursery um we went through a few losses and one was really early. And I remember going into the doctor and he goes, well, I think you just had a miscarriage. And I was like, okay. Like, he's like, okay, have a good day. And I'm like, all right, thanks a lot. Like <laughs> my Starbucks on the way home. Thank you. Yeah. yeah okay. Thanks. Um, and then with um, our further along pregnancy, we went into the ultrasound too, and th there wasn't a heartbeat and we had heard it, um, on a Doppler earlier. And, um, and so they, they did check, um, my progesterone for that. And so after, after my two losses, um, I started getting progesterone supplements mm -hmm. for both of my pregnancies. Um, but I just, I, I remember having like, I don't want anything to have like I don't want any baby things in my house yeah. until I know that I'm going to deliver this baby because I don't want to have all this stuff ready and then not have a baby to come home yeah. with us. Um, but it's losses are so hard and even if like I hate the line like at least it was early like yes my first loss was really early but I still had all of those dreams and all mm -hmm. of those visions of like having a baby in my arms and and so it's I don't know sometimes it's it's hard to know what to say and what not to say to yeah. someone who's had a loss um so but, what what is helpful to be said I mean is there anything that makes you feel yeah you know, I don't think that there's anything that you can say that's going to make anything better mm -hmm. but I think that being honest with the fact that like it this is hard like and if you are in a space where like you've never experienced something like that I think it's important to say you know like I have no I have no reference like I have no you like I have both of my parents are still alive and when I have friends who lose a parent like I cannot mentally wrap my head around what that feels like because I don't have a reference or context to put that into and I think that one of the worst things that I could say to someone experiencing a loss that I've never experienced is, well, I've experienced this sort of like adjacent thing, you know, like, uh, I haven't lost a parent, but my aunt died once and like, that was hard. So, 
Like, yeah. it's not at all the same thing. And I think that the best thing that you can say to someone who is grieving any sort of loss is just like, I'm here and whatever the hell you need, like, you can tell me and, and I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. Just that, that presence of, I'm not going to try and make this better. But I am willing to, like, sit here with your ugly, uncomfortable situation and yeah. not turn away from it. Because I felt like that's what everyone kind of did with with me was it's that sort of, like, instinctive, like, ooh, that's uncomfortable. Like, let's, yeah. let's pivot away from that. Yeah. And that's yeah. really isolating. It, yeah. I felt I had some of those same responses to where they just you know brushed it brushed it away kind of and it didn't really happen and but and another yeah. thing I mean they people can't really see it you yeah. know they yeah. see actually happens with a miscarriage and they didn't I mean a lot of times sometimes I mean like the early on ones they didn't maybe they didn't even know that you were pregnant and then you're dealing with all of this trauma and grief by yourself. Yeah. 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 Or with your partner. Um, yeah. How, how did your body react and did you start running close? Cause I know you had a DNC. I never had one of those. Um, my body just, it was just natural, um, with both of them. Um, but, uh, did you start running right away? And then did you, how did your body react to that? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that I ever fully, like, stopped running for any significant period of time. Um, I mean, like, maybe a week. Yeah. Maybe 10 days. And I think that that was honestly probably not, like, it's not the physical medical advice I would give to anyone. Um, and thankfully, I didn't, I, I didn't really have any physical repercussions, but I just knew that like I needed, I needed some, some way to feel better. Yeah. Um, and that was the only thing that I, at that point in time that like I knew made me feel better. Um, I, I know that like after we had our son, um, I did wait the full six weeks before going back to writing and it felt like the longest six weeks of mm -hmm. my life. And like, as soon as I could walk around the block, like we were walking around the block as many times as my body could um, tolerate. And I feel like a lot of things bounced back really quickly, but there were a lot of things that like, I just wasn't prepared for. Like yeah. I, I was expecting like, you know, everyone talks about like, Oh, you're going to pee when you laugh. And so that was something that like, I felt like I was mentally prepared for, but I wasn't prepared for like just how heavy I felt <laughs> and mm -hmm. like your body just feels so foreign for so long. And even after I lost the weight and I was at, back at like my pre-pregnancy weight, which took me a lot longer than what I initially thought it was going to take, like things just still felt different. And I mean, it, it was really interesting for me the way that my body responded afterwards like things that I just didn't like in when I lost the baby weight like I lost it everywhere like I I had no boobs 
And I previously did. Hmm. And that was, that's interesting. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, it wasn't anything that I had ever expected. Like, Oh, well, they go away. <laughs> Nobody told me that. And it's so funny how it's different for different people. Cause I remember yeah. my mom saying like her boobs never went down after like breastfeeding. Like they just stayed big mm-hmm. all, for the rest of her life. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and I think that like so many people try to prepare you for what's going to happen with your yeah. body. And yeah. I wish that the one thing that, that someone would tell you is just like, you have no idea. Like yeah. I, I could run through 5,000 scenarios of what your body could do and you will have no idea. Like mm-hmm. your butt might be huge for the rest of your life. You'll, you'll never know until you have a baby and then your body will tell you right. what it's going to do with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I'm curious, um, because the physical stuff of getting pregnant and recovering from birth and being a runner, it's like, does that ever play into your mental health? I I just know, like, literally this last weekend, I ran a virtual race and I started the race in such a negative headspace. Like just a lot of negative self-talk and it was related to my body because my, my youngest daughter, she's going to be two this week and I'm still not where I want to be. And it's just taken so long. It's like, I think I, well, I don't have a scale, so I'm not sure about my weight. I think it's pretty much normal ish, but it's like my stomach's never going to be the same. My belly button never going to be the same. I like I've got more skin and I just was sad. And I literally was I just I was really negative. The run thankfully helped turn that around because that's the power of a run, but um I just was wondering does the physical stuff ever play a role in your mental health? You know, I again, like I hold up this avatar of the woman that I wish and would like to be and I would love to say like No, I love my body as it is all the time because our bodies are a gift. Um, And honestly, most of the time, I kind of just take the fact that I have a healthy body for granted um, and don't really think much of it outside of that. But I, there are definitely, like, I have stretch marks. And Mm -hmm. that was not something that I had before having babies or a baby before pregnancies. Um, Mm -hmm. And like there, I do have times where I'm like, I don't love the way that this looks. And then I feel really like, damn, I did Andrea. I didn't know you were that vain. Like that a little (laughs) stretch mark is going to ruin your day. And it's sort of this whole like system that I kind of have to go through of like, I am allowed to be displeased about the fact that as I am getting older, I maybe don't love every little like nook and cranny of how I look in the mirror. And like, that doesn't make me a horrible vain person. That just makes me a human being that is aging. And like, no one loves this process. Like we don't talk about how beauty is wasted on the elderly. You know, we, we talk about how it's wasted on the youth and I think that that's part of just the human experience and the as soon as I can start to like give myself grace for being a human in that human experience and being okay with the fact that 
sometimes that means like I feel a little bit silly because I'm I'm being vain or, you know, something that I think shouldn't bother me is bothering me. Mm-hmm. Um, Just how do you reverse that negative self-talk, you know? So I, I don't have the answer for reversing it because I still personally experience it. But I know that what gets me through it faster now is recognizing that, like, I don't one, I don't let myself be ashamed of the fact that I'm ashamed anymore. Like, mm. I'm not going to I'm not going to be anxious about my anxiety and I'm not going to be judgmental about how I'm judging myself. Like, hmm. I can be judgmental about myself but I'm not going to judge myself on that. I'm not going to get into this like meta judgment business because uh-huh. it's just an endless loop because then I'm going to judge myself for judging myself about the way I've judged myself. <laughs> and We're just going to sit here all day being judgy. Um, and for me, what's been helpful is just like acknowledging the fact that sometimes I don't feel great and like, that's okay. And it doesn't, it doesn't make me any type of person. It just makes me, it just means that I'm a person. And I think that even the most like body positive women have moments where they're like, you know, I don't love the way that this toenail has grown back in after I've lost it for the 15th time. It's not cute anymore. And it's okay for me to not be okay with that toenail. Yeah. Like you, I think that once we start to have a, it's sort of that same where like when you have just a little bit of grace for yourself, you, it starts to build. Mm-hmm. You really just have to practice like, okay, you know, I'm being pretty damn critical of myself right now and I don't love it and that's okay. So I'm going to maybe just kind of move on to the next thing and mm-hmm. not in my time being more critical about how I was critical about mm-hmm. the criticism. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I um. This is kind of random, but I was gonna ask you if do you work with kids on mental health? I have. Um, prior to moving into like women's issues, I worked primarily with um young adolescents. So the the weird awkward tween age. And then like the really rebellious teenager age, that's what I really got me into therapy and counseling. Okay. So, like, real, real little kids. I've, I've only worked with a handful. Um, and that it, it wasn't my specialty. My special, like, I love an angsty teenager. <laughs> well, good because they need you. Yeah. Like, God, like you're, you're angry at the world and yes, like, absolutely the world is a terrible place sometimes and you be angry for a minute and I love it like yeah it speaks my own sassiness I think (laughs) I also am angry at the world sometimes yeah Yeah. and that's okay (laughs) yeah Um, but how how do you like make sure kids are mentally like do you do any mental health work with your son and how do you kind of make sure that they're mentally healthy? I think that the the thing that I try to be most mindful of is being really like honest with my son about what is going on and where I'm at and what has happened. Because I know that um, 
I'm definitely not the perfect parent. Like I definitely lose my stuff (laughs) and do things in a way that like I'm not okay with. And for me, what's really important is to make sure that like I go back and acknowledge like, hey, mom lost her shit. She lost (laughs) and she yelled. And like, you know, we've talked about like, we know that it's not okay to yell even when we're mad and mommy just did. And, you know, I'm sorry. And I think that the best thing that I can do is role model the like acceptance and the accountability and acknowledgement of the fact that like, I'm not perfect. Um, and I try really hard for me. It's, it is, it's hard to not expect my son to be perfect. Yeah. And then I have to like, check myself like Andrea you you're not like you're not perfect you get frustrated and you throw things so like when your six-year-old does you know correct it but like have some grace Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me I really try to role model that like accountability for him Um, I think that we're definitely big on being able to verbalize like you look angry Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Are you maybe angry? Do you do you want to tell? No, you don't. Want, okay, we'll talk about it later when you're not angry. Uh, mm-hmm. So we we do a lot of the like. It looks like you are angry, or it looks like you're sad. It looks like you're cranky. It looks like you're hungry. Would a goldfish solve this? Um, <laughs> it's good to name to name it. Yeah, for to be able to name it and then learn how to process it because they're trying to learn how to regulate their emotions. And, and gosh, I mean, it's scary that I have to be the teacher of that because it's happened for me <laughs> on certain days, yeah. all days. No. Yeah. <laughs> a long time, honestly, to be okay with the fact that like, I'm not going to be the perfect role model for dealing with your feelings, even though I'm a therapist, like I'm not, the perfect example of how to deal with your feelings. And I think that it would be irresponsible for me to like hold myself up as, um, you know, this, this thing to ascribe to, because it's not realistic. Like we all deal with our feelings in, in negative ways from time to time. I think that what's most important is that we're able to like have grace for ourselves and bounce back from it. And Mm -hmm. for me, I want to make sure that, when I do something that I'm not okay with, that I give myself that grace and that I demonstrate that for my son that, you know, like I can acknowledge the fact that I'm not perfect and you can acknowledge the fact that you're not perfect and we can all be imperfect people together. Yeah. And hopefully that keeps you from like being a serial killer. That's mean to women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. We're all doing we, our best. If we can land there, like I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> want to raise pretty good humans. Like, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. don't mean to other people, and yeah, and it's fine. Yeah, I remember listening to a podcast. Um, it's called Mom Brain. It's with Daphne Oz and Hilaria Baldwin, and she, oh, Hilar- Hilaria, will say to her kids, like, "You can tell me how you're feeling, but you must be nice. Mm-hmm. Everything, you know, you have to be nice with your words and." Yep. how you react to things she's like mm-hmm. all i want to raise is nice humans <laughs> like, we all want uh, yeah. 
And it's so. hard because like my son, he's so much like me. Um, like neither one of us is good with accepting no. And I feel like that's, that's given me a lot of like good things in my life. Like I am able to persevere and I'm able to go after what I want. And I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with. And there are so many times where it drives me insane that he is not accepting no, because I just want to move on to the next thing. Like, no, we're not going to watch any more YouTube. Like that's, there's nothing that you're going to say that is going to sway me in this decision. You're just going to drive me nuts. But at the same time, like, I don't want to squash that like drive in him because I know like someday it's going to serve you well, but right now all it's serving is like my level of insanity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, I do too. You're going to be a powerful person someday, but right now you're just driving me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not going to watch any more YouTube. (laughs) Oh, I know. I, I'm surprised at how my two and a half year old can ignore me already. And I'm like, you are not a teenager. You're like, you shouldn't be just like going to play. I'm like, no, Joanne, I'm talking to you, but what? I didn't, I didn't hear you over there. Yeah. yeah. You're literally sitting right next to me and you can't hear me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I did want to talk a little bit about your coaching. Mm-hmm. Are you um, like, what type of people are you, coaching just yeah so I am by no means a professional runner um or athlete of any caliber um so I I tend to coach more of the like new to running crowd um and more women than men I think that that's sort of just where I naturally lean to um for me what I just really like people like step. I like to watch people step into their strength and to acknowledge and, and find and recognize and realize the fact that they can do so much more than what they previously thought they could. Um, and so that's really like, I feel like sometimes I watch, um, David Roach. Are y'all familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes, like, I kind of, and he's much more positive than I am. I'm a little bit snarkier. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a he's little awkward. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, that that underlying concept of, like, you are a valuable human being just because you take up space. And you're a strong and resilient person just because you're still here. And if you weren't strong and resilient, like, the world would have gotten rid of you already. Um, I feel like that's kind of like where I align myself and where my coaching tends to be is more of like, you don't know how strong you are. You don't know yet where, what you're capable of, but like, we're going to find it. And uh, I'm going to push you a little bit further because you think that your strength ends here, but like it really ends way up there and we're going to get there. Yeah. That's awesome. Is it coaching? I'm sorry. Is it online coaching? For the most part, um, I've had it. It's been really interesting. So because I also CrossFit, I feel like um, that's where a lot of my clients have kind of come from is Mm -hmm. um, people that have been doing CrossFit for a long time and feel like they don't have any endurance base. 
um, and they want to do something like a Spartan race or like a 10K or a half marathon. And so that's kind of um, where I've, I've gotten the most comfortable is sort of those those people that are really new to endurance racing. Um, and some of them have been in person just because we happen to be in the same city, but primarily it's been virtual. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Good. Do you incorporate some mental health into your coaching or is it just like training plans? No, it's definitely, yeah. I, I feel like no matter how far I get away from being a therapist, like that's just, it's sort of the the center of who I am. Like that's always been um, sort of the underlying current of everything that I do. Like yeah. I feel like I am currently in a very corporate analytical place in my career, but I'm only this far because I know how to communicate with other people well. And the only reason that I know how to communicate well is because I'm a therapist. <laughs> really interesting seeing other people in sort of my my space in my career that aren't able to communicate well. Yeah. Like, oh, you should have gone to school for counseling. <laughs> That's funny. That's great. Uh, yeah. Oh, this is all such really good stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. But yeah, like I do think that um, that therapy, that like, it's definitely at the core of my, my coaching. I feel like it's, I feel like it's at the core of like my blog as well. Like, I feel like the, you know, I've written some posts about um, some very like tactical concepts, like how, you know, how to um, like how to structure your morning to be most successful or, um, you know, I, I took like two hours off of my marathon time over the course of two years. And I wrote about how I did that. But the posts that are the most um, entertaining for me to write and the, I think that resonate the most with other people is like, these are all the ways that running is hard or these are all the ways that like CrossFit is hard and like the dumb things that we do. And I feel like it comes from a very like humanistic we're all going to laugh at ourselves because we're ridiculous in different ways. Yeah. Uh, but we're all like finding our strength. And at the end of the day, like that's, what's the most important thing is that we have a space where we can feel strong and motivated and empowered. Yeah. And we'll link to your blog. Yeah. What down, is down below? How do people find you? So I'm on, all of the social media. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, and my my name is generally Metcons and Miles. So it's kind of a um, coming together of both like my CrossFit and my running passions. Um, and then my blog is metconsandmiles.com. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. That's great. You're a great resource for yes. well, really anybody. So <laughs> anybody looking to find their own strength, which yeah. is great. So thank you for being that light to everybody. Yeah. yeah. So we always ask our guests two questions. And the first one is, what is your favorite race that you've ever ran? I would probably say the, so the 50K that I ran in San Antonio, um, it was the Alamo 50K. And that was probably my like best experience. Um, 
it was just so much fun. And there were so many M&Ms. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Always comes back to the snacks. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Um, so that's probably my favorite race. Cool. Um, I am curious related to that. Uh, what are you planning to do? Sorry, this is going to be a tangent. I'm just the worst. But um, what are you planning to do to build up to your 50 miler in the fall? So there's a couple of 50 Ks that I'm running or that I think I'm running. Like, who knows at this point? Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's a pandemic, apparently. Right. And, yeah. yeah. So there's a few 50 Ks. So right. That's my plan is to kind of do some of those. Um and I definitely have intentions of spending more time on the trails. Um, I am not a strong technical runner. I am not very coordinated and I, I fall <laughs> and easily I trip on things that don't even exist. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Like I can fall on the sidewalk and probably have no business being on the trails, but that's where I am. That's where I'm going to go. Um, so I've tried to kind of break up like my long runs into like half trail, half um, half road, because I just don't have like the mental stamina to spend eight hours on a training run right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm hoping that, you know, over the summer that will kind of shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a couple like I feel like I have such a hard time sitting still. Um and I, this whole coronavirus COVID thing, like, I feel like I've just slowly kind of like lost my mind a little bit more every single day. And like things that are um, probably not normal or sane to most people are starting to become appealing to me now. So like, I want to do a 24 miles and 24 hours challenge where like you run on the hour every single hour which Mm -hmm. is cool because I can run 26 miles straight and get it out of the way but that's not the challenge the challenge is to be able to recover and go out at 2 a.m like Mm -hmm. in my weird warped sense of reality that seems like a fun time right now (laughs) Uh, I would like to do the like I think I've heard the like four by four by 48. Yeah. yeah. That's something that is semi appealing to me. I've never run at night. So I don't know why all of a sudden I've decided that that's the thing that I should do, but I think I'm just getting a little bit stir crazy. Yeah. It's fine. Do accept the challenge and, and bring it <laughs> you're good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was really interesting when I did, um, when I did the virtual marathon this past month, um, one right. of the things that was like the most enjoyable for me was that like I shared it on social media and I'm not normally like a big like social media like look at me type person that feels really contrived for me but um, I was I wanted to do some fundraising for it and so that requires you know telling people what you're doing because mm-hmm. they don't know what you're doing if you don't tell them mm-hmm. uh, And so it was, it was really fun to like kind of check in on Instagram a couple of times in, in the middle of it. And that's not something that I would normally do. Um, and so it was a really unique and interesting experience. And I think that that's something that like I want to do more of is like 
engaging with the community more and sharing more of like what I'm doing and allowing others to kind of like support it or kind of mm-hmm. get on it. Especially yeah. right now when we're all separated. Yeah. It's nice. It's, we all miss our races, but yeah. at least like doing that virtual race, I followed along on your story for most of it. And that was really neat. And, and then I experienced with my virtual race later seeing the pictures come in of other people that did it. And it's, yeah. it's neat. It, it doesn't replace the race feeling, Not but it's, no, but it's still better than nothing. Yeah, and it's fun in, in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is. But yeah, I think that for the for the 50 miler, um, you know, I do think that I'll probably later in the summer follow like a written plan. Um, but right now I'm really just kind of focusing on um, getting really comfortable with like 16 to 20 mile long runs and then being able to pair that with something the day after instead of just yeah. perfect. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of not. Yeah. <laughs> That's gonna be really exciting. Um, okay, so our last question is uh what is your favorite go-to easy meal that you like to make for your family? So our family is non-traditional. Um I don't cook very often anymore because <laughs> my husband is much better and much more patient in the kitchen than I am. That's great. (laughs) But the thing that like I would have breakfast six times a day if I could. And Mm -hmm. so if it's up to me, what we're eating is probably French toast. Oh, yes. I love French toast. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy. Um, Like it's really it's quite difficult to screw up egg and bread. I mean, I'm sure you could, but so <laughs> for me, like French toast would probably like with all of the toppings, like I've seen now that they're doing like pancake charcuterie boards and like I would kill to make a um, a French toast charcuterie board. Like I I want all of the toppings on my French toast. <laughs> That's so healthy. Um, yeah. But OK, well, thank you so much, Andrea. It was amazing having you on. Loved everything you were talking about. And I think it's going to be really useful and helpful to other moms, too, because we're all just going through weird times and and a long, weird time of being pregnant and having babies and running and doing all the things. And yeah. Yeah. So. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun to talk. Thank you. That was awesome. That was really good. It was a lot of, I mean, I think her story will resonate with a lot of people. Obviously, it resonated a lot with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it was really great talking to someone with a mental health um, background and kind of how she got through some of that, all of the hardship. Totally. Oh, yeah. And this is the kind of stuff that needs to be talked about. And yeah. I think um, I, I just feel like there were so many good nuggets, like just gold chunks in there that I want to I'm like so excited to listen back to this because yeah. <laughs> I'm like, gosh, I need to 
listen to this and, and with my notebook and write some things down because just like kind of practical, um, tips on taking care of yourself and, um, going through grieving and yeah, I how to, I mean, how to talk not. to other people that mm-hmm. are going through a loss or a mm-hmm. grieving process that you haven't been, um, you haven't gone through. Mm-hmm. Totally. And just how her running has taken her through all of this. And, and cause I mean, that is what running is about, you know, it's yeah. so much more than just running. It yeah. is everything. And, um, yeah, it's just really awesome. And she helps other people find their strength too, which is cool. Yeah. So if you liked this podcast, subscribe to our podcast. You can rate and review it, uh, share it with your, your mom tribe, your fellow mother runners, um, because I think they'll find it useful as well. And um, you can also subscribe to Treeline Journal's newsletter, and that's where we post the latest episodes and a short article about each episode. Um, you can subscribe to the newsletter through our website, which is treelinejournal.com. And, yep. and if you want to email us, you can email us um, questions or comments at runhardmomhard at gmail.com. Um, we're hoping to do kind of a question podcast later in the future. Um, and you can also leave us, us a voice message. Um, it's through Anchor. And so you can just uh, record yourself and Nikki and I will get to listen. And so if you have a question and we do a future question podcast, then we can play your voice instead of just reading an email. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Yes, please. Even if you just have a comment, it'd yeah. be so fun to hear. Yeah, totally. Makes our day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thank, thank you, you so much for listening. I have two friends. Well, I mean, I have a lot of friends. I'm sure she'd be cool. Oh, she has to be cool. Just cannot even imagine. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> but- they would maul us. It's yeah. Cool. A wild woman. (laughs) We need a wild woman. Outdoorsy wild woman. (laughs) Yep. Yep. You do a great job. (laughs) Bring a glass of wine and come out. Why does he want me to have a glass of wine?